Good morning. Today is October 28th, and you're tuned in to The Image Show. My name is Robert Pate, president and founder of The Image Program. And on today's show, we're going to start off with Phil Brown. Uh, Phil works for the ACLU of Iowa, and Phil is not only an attorney uh, for ACLU, but he is also an activist for Iowa State court debt, meaning if you are listening to the show and you owe any court debt by way of fines, court costs, jail fees, restitution, supervision, or court-appointed attorney fees, then you are in for some great conversation. Phil, it is a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. No problem. I think that this is very interesting. Most of us uh, that have either been incarcerated on parole or probation or have had any affiliate with uh, the courts have experienced court cost. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So I'm a legal fellow with the ACLU. My fellowship, my job is to research court debt in Iowa. Um, And so far, what I've found is it is an extremely complex system. Almost nobody understands every aspect of it. And the attorneys, the judges, the people who are involved, you know, they often see only their small slice. The bigger picture is what's kind of been missing from our state conversation recently. Can you tell us a little bit about the breakdown of court cost, some statistics, and how this has grown to be out of control. Yeah, so every year the state of Iowa is owed more and more money in court debt. As of the last, you know, accounting, the state of Iowa was owed between 700 million and 800 million dollars. However, that doesn't take into account what people owe to sheriffs, you know, what they owe to um, victims through restitution. So the total for what Iowans owe in court debt is probably somewhere over a billion dollars. Oh wow. Now, you gave an excellent presentation last Wednesday at the task force re-entry meeting. And I thought that it would be extremely interesting for the listeners out there to get a good understanding of all the debt that's collected and owed, how it's calculated, where it goes. Can you tell us a little bit about the different sections from the collection agencies and just give us a little bit more understanding about how this trickery is actually not only destroying lives, but keeping overcrowdedness in the prison systems. Yeah. um, So recently, Iowa's laws have changed a little bit for court debt collection. Uh, In some counties, a private collection agency comes in, is assigned the debt when it goes, you know, past due. But in most counties, it's actually the county attorney who is the prosecutor who is assigned with collecting court debt. And county attorneys, you know, they have available to them what's called contempt. So they can bring a charge against somebody who has not paid their court debt. They can bring them into court and ask, why aren't you paying this? You know, what's wrong? What, you know, what is going on here? And oftentimes people simply aren't able to pay the debt. They aren't capable of it. They have little income to no income. And then they're um, either convicted of contempt or they're given a payment plan that they may not be able to afford. And so it just, it just perpetuates people living in poverty, staying in poverty, and never actually paying off this debt, you know, to end it. And what are some of your most common requests Oftentimes, people will contact the ACLU looking just for more information on this subject. Um, so I've gone and spoken to numerous groups about court debt in Iowa, kind of giving, giving them an overview, explaining how the system works because so few people actually understand it. Um, and to that point, you know, there are really two basic phases. People are given court, court costs, they're assessed, you know, court debt, and then on the back end, it's collection. And Iowa has some huge problems with both of those, those areas. So basically, this uh, problem has become an epidemic. Would you agree? I think absolutely. I mean, there are many problems with the Iowa justice system. And in my mind, of course, court debt is right up there with all of them. 
and, and bleeds over into, I think, every other aspect. And so as we talk about court debt, uh, I just want to get a little further into the conversation of probation, parole fees, uh, court attorneys, all this debt that's just accumulated from spending time in Polk County, uh, hiring an attorney who was probably very ineffective. And then you have this court cost. How or what effective way can someone escape? Well, I think escape is you know exactly the right word here because it kind of piles on without you ever noticing it, without you ever having a chance. I think really just stick up for yourself and say, you know, these costs shouldn't be assessed to me. Here in Iowa... And, and, and that's what I meant to say. You're right. Not, not escape the system, but escape the cost. Escape this crushing debt that is imposed exactly. on somebody unfairly and, and some, you know, encounter to Iowa law. So Iowa law actually only says you should be assessed court costs, um, fees for your attorney, and other what we call civil debts, things that are not a punishment. They're not a fine. They're not a surcharge. They're not meant to punish you. They're just costs of the system that are put onto you. Iowa law says you should only be assessed those when you can pay. Uh, the way to determine if someone can pay is called a reasonable ability to pay hearing, which kind of you know, makes sense that it's named that. But often in Iowa, these hearings aren't being held. And when they are held, they're not being consistent or being held consistently throughout the state. So a judge may ask you know, different things depending on what county you're in or what day of the week it is. Um, and that leads to Iowans being assessed costs that they really never should be in the first place. And once you're assessed the costs, it's very, very difficult to ever get out from underneath that, to ever have it wiped away. Just about the only way you could ever have it wiped away is what's called a Section 910.7 hearing. Now, obviously, as a code section, it's not too important for people to know that section. Um, what this is, while someone is under supervision for the state of Iowa, they can request a hearing to alter their court debt. So someone actually can go in, they can request a hearing, their officer can uh, request a hearing to change the amount they were actually assessed. However, that's the only check on the system. Once you pass that point and you're no longer under supervision, there is effectively no way to get rid of the debt that you were assessed. Wow. Now, it's very obvious that not only is this a problem for uh, the inmate, but it's also a problem for the supporters or the family. Because most of the time when a person is released, either from jail or prison, not only do they not have any money, but most of the time their parents or their family members or whoever has looked out for them, they're pretty much draining their pocketbook as well. Now, obviously, there's no pat on the back for someone who goes to jail or there's no sympathy, and we're not looking for that. But we just want to at least kind of even the playing field. I mean, if we are to rehabilitate an ex-offender, part of that rehabilitation has to deal with debt and their financial situation. I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why ex-offenders give up is because once they're released from prison, they see that the challenges of finance just becomes a little too overwhelming and they revert back to their old lifestyle. Absolutely. And I think court debt you know, exacerbates that because if someone is given a you know, court debt that is in the thousands of dollars, even though only a few hundred of that was from a fine, they're being punished 
in a, to a much greater extent than they actually should have been, right? It's not that they were given, they were assessed attorney's fees because they were guilty. They were assessed attorney's fees because they never had a hearing to show that they can't afford this. And when you're re-entering society from, from a period of incarceration, you know, that becomes too steep of a hill to climb. And if you're asked to pay more than you can right, rightfully afford, you know, at that end, then you start to give up other things. You start to fall behind on payments for the court debt, and that can land you right back in jail. So then I guess my question is, Phil, and I'm sure a lot of people out there listening would have the same question. How do we stop this? What do we do when we become a victim of something like this? It, that is the, you know, the key question. What, what can be done? I think, you know, because Iowa law really sets up the system, I, I think it, it sets it up for failure. The key change is to change the law in Iowa, to talk to your local representative, your local senator from the state house, um, and tell them that court debt is an important issue that needs to be revisited. Um, and it's not just the, le- the legisl- legislature. The courts also have to do a better job. And on that end, I think you know every person in Iowa has a local county attorney. This is an elected official in their county who hopefully will respond to public you know demands for increased accountability, increased transparency, uh, and a clearer vision of why people are targeted for court debt and what the priorities really are. So for the people out there listening now, if they are affected by court debt and they want to get this changed, can they reach out to you? Absolutely. My email is phil.brown, like the color, at aclu-ia.org. And my phone number is 515-207-0759. And they can just call you and say, look, hey, I'm having some issues with my Uh, court costs. It's just sky high and I need you to help. And then what are you, what process are you going to take? I do want to be clear, you know, I'm not in a position to go out and help people act as their attorney to try to, you know, overturn these fees. Um, That's just not realistic from my point of view to, because there are so many Iowans who would need that kind of service. What I can do um, is help somebody maybe understand what, what face, what they're facing, what kind of court that they're facing and get their story out, help share their story to show others in Iowa that this is affecting Iowans in a negative way, and it's not being productive in any sense. Okay, so there's not actually anything that you're going to be able to do physically to help. Will you be able to recommend them to something, to someone? Will you be able to maybe help some? I mean, if the case overloads, are you saying that you won't be able to help, but you would be able to assist uh, a few people? Or Absolutely. So one of the main things the ACLU does is help connect people who have problems um, with the right kinds of attorneys who can, who can help them the best. You know, unfortunately, we just don't have the bandwidth to help everybody who comes to our office um, because there are so few of us at the ACLU, but we can definitely point anybody in the right direction. I tell you, Phil, I, don't, I just, I mean, I take my hat off to you for being someone that is a part of the solution and not the problem. And that's a part of the image show. That's part of the image program is we're trying to make positive change in the community and we are putting our uh, first foot of effort in in doing so. And so uh, I appreciate your time on the show. Uh, we definitely welcome you back. And I want to say keep up the great work. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And you have a great day, sir. Yeah, you as well. Phil Brown on The Image Show. We'll be back after these messages. When we come back, we will speak with a young man who has went through all the challenges in life without giving up and has earned a job working for the United Way of Central Iowa. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back. And we are on The Image Show live. We have DeMonte Stogner. 
DeMonte is a personal friend of mine. He wrestled at Grandview College and graduated from Grandview with a criminal justice degree. Now, DeMonte is originally from Chicago, Illinois. DeMonte currently works for the United Way of Central Iowa. However, growing up in Chicago was not easy. During his college careers, he made some bad choices, which landed him in Black Hawk County Jail in Waterloo, Iowa, where he ended up spending eight months for probation violations. Since DeMonte's release from Black Hawk County in 2012, he's changed his life and is now working to help ex-offenders. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMonte Stogner in the studio on The Image Show. How you doing, DeMonte? Good. How's it going today, man? Good. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. Uh, I think that it's important to highlight some of our ex-offenders or uh, people that have experienced the exact same uh, incarceration situations uh, that we have and who are making positive changes in the community now. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your story, a little bit about your change uh, growing up in Chicago, how uh, the transformation was from Chicago to Iowa and the success that you're having now? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to be on the show today. I would probably say starting out as a youth in Chicago, uh, seeing just a lot of negative, a lot of negative images, lots of negative situations, um, just really no positive feedback or positive reinforcements uh, to help us out as youngsters. So I think uh, growing up, it was just a lot of negative, a lot of negative choices. And so that kind of became my norm, just uh, doing what I wanted to do, feeling how I wanted to feel and not really caring about anything else that was going on. So um, I think just coming from that environment, I was kind of almost like prone to be unsuccessful, I would say, to to be unsuccessful. And so uh, coming here to Iowa, I ended up getting myself on a wrestling mat. A buddy of mine introduced me to wrestling. And so uh, I started to find something that was more positive for me. I started getting positive feedback from that. And I think that's what ultimately helped me to kind of change some of my ways a little bit because I really wanted to be on the wrestling mat. I didn't want to be in trouble anymore. So uh, I really started to just focus on wrestling a lot more. And as you continued throughout your wrestling career, when did you discover that criminal justice was going to be of interest to you? I would say in 2012, when I got in trouble, uh, I w- at first I started out as an early elementary education major. I started out at Ellsworth Community College as an early education major. I was getting in trouble at Ellsworth, and I ended up getting myself kicked out kicked out of school up there, kicked off the wrestling team. I uh, found myself sitting in the county jail for about 10 days on a probation violation. And uh, I was actually talking with one of the deputies there. He was like, man, you're a wrestler. You wrestle at Ellsworth. Like, what's going on? And I just explained a little bit to him, kind of told him a little bit about my background. He's like, you know something? And like, that was the first time I heard it, but I never really took heed to it. He was like, you should probably try to work for the Department of Corrections. He's like, you got a lot of experience in it. And I never really understood that until I really like sat down like man I do I've been in and out of the system since I was 11 years old like that's really I really know a lot about the system and I never understood how much I knew about the system how did that time in jail that eight months feel oh it was the greatest time of my life to be honest, it was the greatest time of my life. I really had a lot of time to not worry about what others was thinking of me. I had time to just think, to prioritize, to, to get my body right, to get my mind right. I just really had enough time to think. I think growing up as a youth, being in Chicago, being around so much negative, everything just became a norm. So I didn't really think a lot. I never thought before I made decisions. I didn't think about 
uh, consequences ahead of time, two or three steps ahead. Uh, so just being able to sit down and think, I think, was huge for me. Okay. And ultimately, it's what led to your change. Yep. Now, you say that this was the best time of your life. Uh, obviously, you don't plan on making these same choices again no, to go back. No. And so I just want to make sure we give our listeners a clear understanding that this was the best time of your life because ultimately it led to the repentance mm-hmm. of your sins and put you back on the right track to discover self-identity. Would that be correct? Yep. Yep, I will say that in in those exact words, yes. And and how did you discover your self-identity? And the reason I say that is because you're confident you work for a program that allows you to work with ex-offenders, and you've been very successful at that. And I know that it probably wouldn't be possible unless you had to actually experience this. And and I'm speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just being able, I, like, like I say, I think that I think from some of the situation that we come from, we're not um, really too focused on decision making and uh, critical thinking skills. And so I think one of the biggest things is thinking, thinking, thinking before you make a move, thinking before you act, thinking before thinking before you think, you know, really weighing out options and seeing how a cost benefit analysis. I do that with everything. How and it's not necessarily about financial costs. It's just a cost-benefit analysis. How much would this cost me? Will it cost me time? Will it cost me money? Will it cost me a sacrifice? Will it cost me a friendship? How will it benefit me? Will it benefit me a friendship? Will it benefit me a network? Will it benefit me a job? So uh, just thinking about things, thinking and really weighing out options, I think is huge. And I think a lot of offenders don't get that opportunity. You know, we have to, we, we were just talking about the court debt and so many uh, different other obstacles you got to overcome. Hey, when do you ever have time to think and really hone in on the stuff that you want to prioritize and get done when you have so much other stuff on your plate? Amen. And even the knowledge of, of knowing the consequences. There's a lot of people that I met in prison that had no idea that what they were doing ultimately carried excess amount of time. And then they're stuck with all this time once they get sentenced. And then they say, oh, wow, well, if I knew that this carried uh, this this much time, I never would have did that. So they're making choices without having any knowledge of what it is that they're doing and how much time that it carries. And I've seen people in there that are facing life sentences or that are serving life sentences just because they acted without thinking. Mm -hmm. The famous murder charge, you know, people... Some of the nicest people in the world that I met in prison who have actually taken a life from an instinct. Yeah, I think we get I think we get ourselves so wrapped up and so wound up on emotions and we forget to stop and think about consequences or we we're not even taught or educated on some consequences or state laws or laws or things. That, there's there's a ton that goes into you know, changing your life and, and becoming a better person. But I think there's a there's a ton of outside factors that also factor in on how you can do that. So being being educated on the laws, knowing voting laws, knowing about politics, knowing about all these things really start to help you to start to think like, all right, well, what's my place in society? Where do I fit in in all this? And I think me just uh, getting the knowledge, 
getting the knowledge of those things and starting to understand, it really started having me question what's my place in society? Where do I belong? What am I going to do? Amen. And DeMonte, I want to talk a little bit about self-identity because you have yourself in a great position in that you're working for the United Way. You're working with ex-offenders. I work for the Evelyn K. Davis Center and I work with ex-offenders. And I think that one of the most important aspects of the nature of the job is the fact that the self-identity, most people that I come across, they have not discovered. The ones that are really in need of help and most commonly, they haven't so much discovered self-identity. I think once you discover that, it makes things so much easier because you don't have to put on a fake or a persona of trying to act like. I mean, you can just be you. And would you say that jail helped you discover that? For sure, yeah. Because I'm not a tough guy. I'm not a thug. I'm not any of these things that uh, so many of us portray in our actions. And I think going to jail, I really wanted to be different on the other side. I really wanted to. So I, I really sat down and I prayed and, and, and I, I got to myself and I started to really focus on just being me. You know, I'm not I'm not tough. I like to read. I like to write. I like to work out. I like to wrestle. I like to talk to people. I like to be positive. I like to motivate others. So I started living those things that I really like to do and really like to be. And it helped. It, it, practice makes perfect. So I started practicing those things that I really like being who I really was. Because on the outside, I wasn't practicing those things. I was driving cars without license, selling drugs, doing drugs, doing all these things that I shouldn't have been doing instead of practicing on who I should have been. So going to jail really helped me to start practicing those things. It, it wasn't the, the ultimate environment I wanted to practice them in, but it really helped me to start practicing those things. DeMonte, now that you work for the United Way, what is your do- your job title? What does it consist of? So I'm the case manager of the Circa program. So I really pretty much find resources in the community for returning offenders, uh, any type of barrier that they're facing, housing, employment, any barrier that a, a, a returning citizen is facing, I kind of help them attack that. So whether they need help writing a resume, we might refer them over to resume services over Evelyn K. Davis Center. If they may need to take some extra uh, educational courses or training and things like that, we might we're partner with DMAC or Evelyn K. Davis or any other community organization who's willing to help these guys out and to uh, ensure success for them. Great. Well, I tell you, DeMonte, man, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And again, you're you're one that we definitely welcome back. Do you have a telephone number or a website that uh, some of the listeners who may want to get in touch with you can reach out to you at? My email is DeMonte at centraliowaworks.org. Uh, you could just send me an email there about any any employment or barrier type thing that you're facing. And then I also have my office number, which is 515-525-7777. Uh, you can call me there any time during the day between 8 to 5. And what are some of the uh, criterias that you meet specifically? So for the Circa program specifically, you have to be 25 years old. You have to be coming to Polk County, Iowa from Fresh Start, Fort Des Moines, Mitchellville, or Newton Correctional Facility. Now, are you saying that you have to be 25 or older or just 25 25 exactly? or older. Coming from one of those four correctional facilities and being a, and you can't be a sex offender. 
That's okay. really much it. So we're the pool is really open for people trying to be who want to return and be successful. Just can't be sex offenders and you can't be under the age of 25. We still work with individuals under the age of 25 outside of the circuit program, but the specific program that I'm working with right now, you have to be 25 or older. 515-525-7777. And we are going to go to a break. Coming up next on The Image Show, we're going to speak with a gentleman by the name of Cam Middlebrooks. Cam is a former Midwest Regional Director for the NAACP, and Cam is going to speak with us about how important it is to vote. We'll be back after these messages. And, DeMonte, I want to tell you, Mr. Brother Man, thank you very much for being on the show. And we wish you all the success in the world. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. And we're back on The Image Show, and we have Cam Middlebrooks in the house. Cam is also a co-worker of mine at the Evelyn K. Davis Center, and he is also a former Midwest Regional Director for the NAACP. Cam, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate you putting me on. Well, Cam, first of all, we want to talk about voting. Uh, obviously, uh, you are very uh, enlightened on voting. As a former Midwest Regional Director for the NAACP, you bring a huge amount of accessible experience to the Evelyn K. Davis Center. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about voting. I want to talk about the importance of voting and uh, kind of give our listeners an understanding of kind of what you do and your knowledge as it pertains to voting. Well, obviously, voting is is very important to anybody, right? Uh, It's a a right, it's a privilege, and I think it's the most important right and privilege that we have. When we talk about changing things that are going on that we like or don't like, the right to vote is the first step in that process, right? Putting the individuals in place uh, that we feel are going to represent our wants and our needs. But the only way we do that is by going through the process of voting that right person in or voting that wrong person out. Now, as a felon, most people realize that they've lost their right to vote. Mm-hmm. However, there are some laws intact that allow felons now to... To regain their right to vote, yeah. And this, uh, Iowa is actually one of four states where it's actually written in the Constitution that felons do not have the right to vote, right? However, there is a process in Iowa for felons to regain that right. Um, back when I was a, the Midwestern Regional Director for the, Iowa, for the Midwest area, um, specifically here in Iowa, we worked with the then-Governor Terry Branstead to make that process a little bit easier. Um, back then, which I'm talking about 2015, the process for a felon to regain their right to vote was about a 10 to 12 page document. And uh, one of the questions on that pay, on that document was, what is your credit score? Now, what that has to do with voting, I still don't know. Um, so we worked with them, uh, the NAACP locally and at the state level, worked with the governor's office to make that process a lot more simple. Um, it's now a three page document. We removed a lot of those questions that really had nothing to do. As of right now, if you are a felon and you wanted to regain your right to vote back by going through that process um, and also ensuring that you've paid all your fines, your restitution, you're no longer on parole or probation. Um, you do have that opportunity to regain that right, but um, it is still something that we'd like to see go a little bit farther from the NAACP standpoint. We would like it to be automatic restoration, but we don't have the people in office right now that, that want to make that decision. So again, it's important for those who do have the right to vote that we get out there and we vote for the folks that will make the right to vote as easy and as accessible as possible for everyone. Now, there's some people that just decide that they don't want to participate in voting. What is your take on that? Uh, it is it's frustrating to tell you the, to tell you the honest truth, right? Um, it's a right that a lot of people that look like me fought and died for. 
right? It's a right that we have an opportunity to change our system. For those who don't feel the need or are, are not interested, you know, I really have them, I would really talk to them about looking around their surroundings, right? You know, the things that they don't like that they see in their city every day. A lot of times folks want to talk about what's going on at the national level, you know, whether it's Trump or Hillary, it really doesn't matter to me. But I want you to focus on your local politics, right? Who's your city council person? Who's your school board member? Who's your state representative? These are people that have the opportunity to affect your day-to-day life. And we need to make sure that we're putting the right people in, in office to represent how you feel, um, represent the changes that you want to see in, in within your community. Right. So for people out there who say, well, I'm not going to get involved with politics. It's just too frustrating. It, it becomes a headache. Obviously, it's important. And then when they go complaining about the fact that, hey, we don't we can't stand we can't stand this president. We can't stand that president or we hate this uh, secretary of state. We hate that. Well, here's your opportunity to actually try to do something about it. Right. And right. So I just want to know, how, give us some statistics of how many people actually don't vote. Well, I'll say this. Statistically, even at the, the federal elections, right, so when people vote for president um, and, or for your senators or, uh, or congresspeople, only about 30 percent of eligible voters actually exercise their right to vote. Right. So a very small amount of people across the country are dis- deciding these very important decisions. The lower you go as far as state representatives or governor or down to city elections, you know, that number goes down. So less and less people actually vote for the folks that we have in office that are making day to day decisions. So it's kind of sad. Right. We, we live in the freest country in the world, but only a very few actually decide some of the most important decisions. Right. But we still complain about poverty. We still complain about the lack of development in certain areas and certain neighborhoods. The only way that we can change that is if we turn out the vote at a high rate and we get folks, real day-to-day people who have real day-to-day issues, actually deciding who's going to be that person in place to actually be the change that they really want to seek. Okay, Cam. And now just kind of going into this year's election, can you give us some different names of people who are up for the ballot? Yeah, well, the biggest election right now that, that we face as Iowans is who's going to be our next governor, right? We have Kim Reynolds who's uh, the incumbent who's in office right now, um, even though she wasn't elected. Um, when past Governor Terry Branstead left to be the ambassador of China, she took over since she was a lieutenant governor. Her competition right now, uh, the biggest competition would be the Democratic candidate, which is Fred Hubble. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's a longtime businessman, been in from the Des Moines area, um, and has a lot of different takes on some of the issues. Um, some would say more progressive takes on the issues. Um, some would also say more solutions that would affect some of the less off, um, the middle class people down to the poverty line. Okay, and let's go to the Secretary of State. So the Secretary of State, uh, the Republican candidate would be Paul Pate, um, who I believe has been in office for about four f- four years now. Um, and then his competition would be Deidre DeGere, who is very new to the scene. Um, this is the first time she's ever ran for elected office. Um, and is, uh, I believe, a Drake graduate, a uh, longtime commitment to the Des Moines area. Now, as I understand, in the state of Iowa, and this is just a question mm-hmm. because I, I just want to know, have we ever had uh, in the Secretary of State. Have we ever had an African-American Secretary of State? No. So we've never had an African-American have the opportunity to, to win a statewide election, right? So you think of your governor, your Secretary of State, um, and everything in between. Uh, as far as being elected to a statewide position, she would be the first African-American and the first African-American female to ever hold that office if she's elected. Wow. So it sounds like history has already been made in that aspect. Of, yeah. Yeah. Of history her. was made when she became the candidate, right? 
right? Um, and that's something that uh, we've seen, you know, across the country, right? You got down in Georgia, uh, Stacey Abrams, who's the the Democratic candidate for governor um, down in Florida. Um, you have Gilliam, who's a Democratic candidate for governor in Maryland. You have Ben Jealous, uh, again, Democratic candidate for governor. All four of these people is the first time we've seen in our history that an African-American person is up for nomination at some of the highest uh one of the highest positions in each state. Wow. Well, it sounds like uh, changes are definitely being made in this world. And, you know, people are always talking about how bad things are getting in the world and and how much, uh, you know, how the world's coming to an end. Yeah. You know, all the tragedy that's going on. Right. Well, at the same time, there's a lot of good things happening. I mean, there's a lot of different things going on, things that have never happened before. And so uh, we definitely want to encourage all of our listeners out there, everyone in the state of Iowa, to get out there and vote. It's important. Don't hold silence uh, to your uh, voting right. If you have the right, get out there, make history happen. Definitely. I mean, this is the history won't happen unless we make it happen, right? Amen. And we got a couple opportunities coming up in this next week for you to exercise that right. One thing I always want to tell folks is don't wait just until Election Day to vote, because you never know how that Tuesday is going to be, especially a November Tuesday in Des Moines, Iowa. So there's some early voting opportunities. You can actually vote early down at uh, the Polk County Election Office, Monday through Friday um, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. The Election Office is located at 122nd Avenue in downtown Des Moines. You can also exercise your right to vote at different uh, satellite locations, namely the Central Senior Center at 2008 Forest Avenue, the East Des Moines Library at 25. 559 Hubble Avenue. I'm in the Northwest Community Center at 5110 Franklin Avenue. So we have a lot of opportunities to vote, a lot of opportunities to vote early. And like you said, Robert, we need to exercise that vote and exercise it as much as possible. And when is the last day to vote? The actual last day, Election Day, will be November 6th this year. Um, again, it's always on the first Tuesday in November, so we need to make sure you get out the vote by November 6th. Okay, well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, Cam Middlebrooks, former Midwest Regional Director for the NAACP, and he is also a Political Action Committee NAACP in Des Moines. And so uh, he also works for the Evelyn K. Davis Center. Uh, this is a very bright man. We're privileged and honored to have him on the M show. Get out there and vote. Cam, it was nice having you in here, man. Thanks for having me. We'll be back with Joanna Davis and break down biblical principles after these messages. And we're back on The Image Show, 98.3 The Vibe. We've got Joanna Davis back with us. Joanna, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Good. I'm glad that you're here. And we're going to break down biblical principles again. Now, Pastor Davis, uh, we spoke this week about uh, some biblical principles and how we were going to iterate this show today. And so I want you to kind of break down uh, what you had written up and just kind of let things start flowing. First of all, I think we ought to start off with a word of prayer. How does that sound? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Father God, we just come before you today and we thank you for this time that we'll be able to um, share with your people, Father, uh, the message, the, the teaching and understandings that we all need. We ask God that you would just be here with us and Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth. And we just thank you, Lord. Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
All right. Well, we did talk a little bit um, earlier this week on uh, some topics and different things that we thought would be important for uh, the listeners to uh, hear and uh, hopefully um, grab an understanding that would bring positive change to their lives. And so I spent some time and would like to talk about the power of a renewed mind. A lot of people um, try to live their life thinking in in old um, thinking patterns. And when we talk about positive change, positive change is really, it takes place in our mind. Our mind must become renewed. And so anyone that desires, you know, a Christian life or Christian progress or success must understand that Christian progress and success is not possible unless your mind has been renewed. Years years will pass by, 20 years, you'll still be in your stinking thing carrying a 20-year mind that hasn't been renewed. I also know from personal experience that sometimes it it gets hard to to read the Bible, to to grab it. I mean, you got to literally force yourself sometimes just to reach over and grab it, crack it open, and just start reading it. And once you do that, all of a sudden it seems like uh, the whole world starts just opening up and changing and shifting, and then you get this inner outbreak that just kind of moves your whole spirit. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with you, you know, we're talking about getting in the word and and reading the word of God. Some people have a hard time doing that because it it seems like it's so much. But the the one thing that I've come to realize is that um, we have to start somewhere. And so we we need to open up the word and we need to allow the word to renew our mind. Um, There's so many things that... um, people are trying to accomplish, but they don't realize that um, they're not going to be able to accomplish those things until their mind has been renewed, because old thinking patterns will always keep you in, in with your attitude being the same, and, and your attitude has to change in order for things to change around you. So, you know, I just wanted to have kind of a practical conversation about this. Um, I think that it's going to be helpful to the, the people that are listening, and um, the importance of the power of renewed mind is um, vital for our life. So the one thing that I wanted to just kind of point out to people today is the carnal mind keeps us um, in our flesh. And our flesh um, is uh, truly a very dangerous dangerous place to be. Uh, We need to understand that the carnal mind is is really worldly thinking. But Mm -hmm. when we renew our minds, we renew it in the spirit, which is the spirit of the living God. Uh, One of the things that I love about that is Ephesians. 423 because it says that uh, to be renewed in the spirit of the mind so we have to be renewed in the spirit because the spirit is the way God thinks so for people out there listening and they hear to be renewed in the spirit how do you become renewed in the spirit by reading the word of God okay by spending time with God and again a better way of saying it and there's so many different versions but I wanted to point out Ephesians 4:23 because what I like about that is even in the uh, New Living Translation it says to be made new in the attitude of your minds because a lot of times it's just our attitude our attitude needs to be, I used to say in church to a lot of people you know you need to get an attitude about your attitude it needs to change we have a lot of stinking thinking a lot of old patterns and, and things that live literally keep us stuck. Even though we may be 20 years older from a process that happened 20 years before, if our mind is constantly stuck in that same place, we'll never grow. We'll never get to where we need to be. And 
it's important to spend more time with God because when we spend time with God and we spend time in the word, then our minds become renewed. Again, there's there's a process. If we want to have success, if we want to progress, we have to change the way we think. And the only way that's going to happen is getting our, our, our thinking pattern changed through the word of God. The word of God is the only thing that brings life. And it's the only thing that kills the flesh. Amen. What do you think about voting as it relates to the word of God? Some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't have to vote. I think that that's sin. All the politicians, all the political stuff, that's all about sin. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's important to vote. I think it's important that you take a stand for what you believe in. And if there's things that need to be, you know, need to change, then voting is the process that, you know, that's the beginning process to make those changes that um, we're looking to see happen, whether good or bad or however we view a point of voting is is definitely necessary. And with that being said, I I think that also includes just a a way that we, you know, we need to change the way we think about that as well. So many people are, are caught up in believing that, you know, you don't have to, but but I do believe that there's that's the beginning of a process if we're believing in something to change. Amen. Well, Joanna, again, these biblical principles that we break down are so important for the Image Show, and I thank you again for your time, and I thank you for the word and the knowledge that was brought forth, and we are going to come to a close for this week, and to all of our listeners out there, uh, we just want to remind you to tune in next week to the Image Show on 98.3 to Vibe. We start at 9 o'clock. We have some of the most powerfulest testimonies uh, from businessmen to politicians. I mean, we were speaking about voting today on the Image Show. I thought that was real nice. Brother Cam, Yeah, Brother Cam came in and, and had a lot of knowledge. You know, man that worked for the NAACP. Wow, that it's kind of interesting in itself because uh, he spoke so well. He delivered his, his message really well. And I, I, I'm just I'm happy about that and proud of him. Yes, me too. I thought it was really awesome to listen to what he had to say. I think we should close in a word of prayer, as we always do. Absolutely. And I will lead the way. But before we do, I just want to say we thank you all, all of our listeners uh, in the county jails and the DOC. We just ask that you continue to keep your faith, keep reading your Bible, obey those who are in authority over you, even when it hurts. We understand uh, what you're going through, and we just encourage you to lean toward God. So uh, as we pray, I ask that you bow your head, close your eyes. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the seeds that have been planted, dear Lord. We thank you for watering the seeds. Dear Lord, I lift up all my children out there, all my family, cousins, nieces, nephews, uh, all my friends. And and I just ask that you heal all the sickness that's going on out there in the world, all the people that are looking for jobs, dear God. Uh, We pray for employment, dear Lord. We pray for obedience, dear Lord. We pray for pastors, those who are in authority, dear Lord. Lord. We pray for the inmates uh, in the DOC, for the correctional officers, for the judges, prosecutors, lawyers, dear dear Lord. We pray for them all. We just ask that you help us to come together and show love, dear Lord. We pray that your justice be met according to your will, dear Lord. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. And Father, we just lift up those, Father, at this time that need their minds renewed. We know how the importance of their mind being renewed, Father, that they would understand who you are, Father, that it is through your word that brings truth, and it is your, the truth that renews our minds so that we will know what is pleasing to you, Father. And so, Father, I pray for those that are listening right now that they would ask you, Lord, to just simply help them to renew their minds so that they will be able to walk according to your word word and that they would have a prosperous and successful life in you. And so, Lord, as we lift them up, we just want to thank you for your your, your blessings over them. And uh, we, we love you, Lord. And we just give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We'll see you next week on The Image Show. Until then, Joanna Davis, Robert Pate. Have a great week.